AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's happening, everybody? This is Big Steel, the executive producer of the Gangster Chronicles podcast and the CEO of Digital Soapbox Media. I would like to welcome everyone to another episode of the Gangster Chronicles podcast. But before we get started, I want to address a few things. As you all may know, Alex Alonzo is no longer a part of the Gangster Chronicles podcast. Now, the reasons aren't important, but we sincerely wish him the best in his future endeavors. Now, as you know, the show must go on. I have some exciting news. Gavario Hunter, the former editor of Don Diva magazine, will be coming on as a host of the Gangster Chronicles. Gavario brings a level of professionalism and resources that will take the Gangster Chronicles brand to another level. Now, the show's format will always be for the streets. With that being said, we will be expanding our coverage to not only include the streets of Los Angeles, but hoods nationwide. So the crew will be on the road bringing you conversations from some of the most legendary people in the game. From the Nickerson Gardens to Staten Island's Park Hill Projects, it ain't the corner that we won't bend. This week we have interviews coming with San Diego rapper Jail Felony. Then we hitting y'all with an interview with the Wu-Tang Clan's You God. Future interviews are on the way from Rapper Lot Record CEO Jay Prince, rapper Scarface, and much, much more. Now, I appreciate those that have stayed in the car rocking with us for the last year. Now, my man Reggie Wright Jr., he will be back on deck at the end of August. He coming home. They letting him out. And he going to bring y'all what only he can bring to the show. Big ups to my brother James McDonald for holding it down, staying loyal. When I thought of this show three years ago, I never imagined it would have the impact that it did to open the doors for us. So I appreciate y'all the fans from the bottom of my heart. Like I always say, without y'all, we ain't nobody. So stay in the car with us because we're going for a long ride. I'm giving a special, special thanks to my man Charlemagne the God for believing in us. It's a lot of stuff coming in the next few weeks, so keep your ears open. Now, on this episode, me and James sat down with Detroit, Michigan's Al Prophet to talk about his American Dope Boy series and the economics of cocaine. This episode is appropriately called D-Boy Economics. It's the Gangsta Chronicles, y'all. Life, really. Well, yeah, I know you had your run in in the street, right? Yes. Want to tell us about that a little bit? Well, I am the proud owner of four felony convictions. Mm-hmm. And uh, served a couple years, most recently 
in the uh, for the crime of bringing bringing what's now not even medicine but uh, weed, which is uh, uh, you know you can use it without a card. Mm-hmm. I got uh, caught with fifty pounds of uh, recreational uh, substance in Arizona and had to lay down for a year in that tent city jail with. That's all. Joe Arpaio. For 50 pounds? In Arizona, that ain't. Guys was getting probation for 300 pounds. Like, you know, it's a warehouse state. Remember, it's not pounds of this stuff that's $3,000. It's to, back then, it was the, you know, the AC, AZ Reggie Bowls. They mm-hmm. were $300 each. Oh, okay. So, but yeah. So, you know, year is enough. Shoot, that Rex, you bring in the best profit sometimes. Double so up. Man, you know, bring Allegedly, sorry. You know, yeah, allegedly. You know, market <laughs> was, the market was way better on some Reggie. Oh, you more know? money's been made by far. And marijuana, then cocaine and heroin put together. I mean, mm-hmm. up through the rise of the domestic, until the rise of the domestic marijuana industry, or whatever, 10 years ago, you know, Sinaloa cartel, over half of their profits was from marijuana. Um, and guys I know in Detroit, and I don't mean from being out profit, just like doing documentaries, guys I know, I have multiple people I knew that, you know, are getting. 3,000 pounds twice, three times a month, mm-hmm. you know, so making a million or two a month on weed, multiple groups of guys doing that. And so, yeah, big money in that. And like you said, the, the, the Reggie Bowl game was the best thing ever. Very bulky, but. Yeah, for sure, man, for sure. So you started off doing music videos and everything else. Then you went into documentaries documentaries of the lick i'm a big fan of that man you got some stuff coming up that we'll talk about later on but that was in the dvd era oh wow and at the end of it kind of mm-hmm. so my off the uh, camera here my esteemed cousin and business partner he did about 250 mixtapes so he had a whole route of all the detroit because there's nothing open in detroit but liquor stores and gas stations so he those were his retail locations so mm-hmm. You know, he was helping me put my DVDs in there, but with every new release, you know, and the economy's so bad, there's guys walking from barbershop to barbershop selling three movies for $5, two Hollywood movies and an Al Profit DVD. Mm-hmm. And so there might be 50,000 copies on my DVDs, and, you know, I sold 2,000 of them. So yeah. that was, it was a limbo time, and it was before digital mm-hmm. had kicked in, but I knew digital was going to kick in, and I uh, met... Uh, some people out here and uh, partner with them on their digital distribution company, Indie Rights. Mm-hmm. And it did kick in. And uh, we all live in deluxe apartments in the sky now, thanks to our foresight and hard work. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. Let me ask you this, man. Have you ever had any, because the stuff you do is real, like, edgy. It, it's dope. And if you guys haven't checked it out, I suggest you go check it out. Like, right now, as soon as you finish looking at this show, go check that out ASAP. But, um... Have you ever had any brush back from some of the stuff you've been doing, like from other crews and stuff? No. No? Nope, because uh, I tend to work. I'm not I'm not an investigative journalist. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to solve any crimes. It's about the history. And, you know, when you're from communities like Detroit, where, like, crime is a big part of life, unfortunately, mm-hmm. people want to understand, you know, why did this happen? Even the people that did it. And we're talking about, I usually talk about old events, and I'll work with the people. Mm-hmm. You know, people approach me, hey, do my story, do this, do that. And I stick to the facts. And as far I don't let someone come out and say, well, I know who killed so-and-so. I just repeat what was in the court record of the newspaper and mm-hmm. then place it in social context and history. So, so you, nope. You only crime your... I ever had once was a guy that was in it who was an active just drug addict and just wanted some money. But that was just like, you know, a little dispute. But that wasn't 
really what you're asking. So no, I haven't. So you do your homework before you absolutely. And a put lot of these people, there. I start off with people that has some tie to, like that. my friend's uncle was somebody. Mm-hmm. And then after I did the first things, and everyone saw like, oh damn, this is really good and important what he's doing. Um, I got more personal ties, and a lot of these people were, you know, like just my friends and in in real life now. And uh, yeah, so I definitely do my homework because this it. We we're talking about the more serious of a thing you're talking about. It better be right or close to right. I mean, right. when you talk about crime, it may not ever be the total truth because you can't really, people can't say the truth sometimes, but it's got to be as close as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. For real. So, you know, going back then, you, you talk about the DVD era, and, you know, you said your partner was doing mixtapes. Um, as crazy as it sounds, the digital transition was great, but a lot of people lost a lot of money during that time. I know, like me, man. I think off of mixtapes back then, man, between, you know, distributing mixtapes, man, over in um, Europe and stuff, because I used to go to um, Otakon to Midham every year, right? I used to go from, you know, go from Con France to Midham every year, you know, meet with all the buyers and stuff, man, and I was distributing everybody's mixtape out here in the West Coast, man. Oh, so you were doing European distribution. Yeah, I was doing stuff. European distribution, and you know the thing about Europe, I was able to offer guys $8 a CD over here. Because I was getting fourteen over there, and they were selling them for twenty five or yeah, something. Yeah, you know, man. due to the exchange rate of the pound, because I was doing a lot of stuff in England over in Ireland, and the pound man at the time was like two to one over the American dollar. So this is pre heavy bootlegging, though. Yeah, pre like I was right on the edge of it, man. I probably sold like man, you know, that's thank God, man. Stacks of limitations don't pass, man. I probably sold like man, probably about two or three hundred thousand mixtapes out there, man. Like, so you was a criminal. You know what? Not really Allegedly. a criminal, man. I was, you know, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly? I, was just, I was helping people get their stuff over there. You know, we used to, is it like, against the law to do that? You know what? If um, they're songs that aren't, if they songs, you know what? Yeah. Technically, though, I was working with the artists a lot of times. The record, now they might have been fucking over their record companies where they had the arrangement with. Oh, they're giving you songs, yeah, on they, the cuff. They, you know, they, they had songs, man, that might not have made a particular album, and you know, the average recording artist out there getting robbed anyway. You know, on the way the point system goes, so. They got these extra songs that didn't make the album because they couldn't get samples cleared or whatever else. Hey, man, I got these 10 songs, man. Can we put some out? I'll throw an album cover together, man, and put that shit out. What kind of artists uh, were you doing? Shit, I was doing all rap, man, all West Coast gangster rappers, man. But you know what? What was crazy, though, a lot of the stuff, the big content I had, man, was like the Bay Area stuff and the underground stuff out here. Like, I used to sell a lot of um, a grip of OG Daddy V's. Um, Tremendous uh, independence, thank you, there yeah. in the Bay. Yeah, you know, so I was selling a lot of stuff, um, mostly from the Bay Area guys, man, that they couldn't really get over there because their distributors was doing shitty jobs. So I kind of got into distribution. Then I met some cats over in Japan, was taking them over there. But I remember, man, I had a company to file bankruptcy on me. And I was owed like $250,000, man, like a quarter million dollars. They filed for BK, and I was waiting for that to come. I blew a bunch of money the first before that because I said, oh, I got another They were waiting for the BK to come, too. They knew it was coming years before, and they were spending the money because they knew they weren't going to have to pay their bill. Oh, for sure. Yes, a crafty game. That's why I tell people, man, you got to get some change in that stuff. You got to hold on. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. 
Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thing that makes it way better now, now this is the flip side. Even though I lost a gang of money, I was doing some shit I shouldn't have been doing anyway. But um, but you made a lot of money. Yeah. Now, it ain't no cheats in the game. That digital footprint, you know what I mean? It's like you can't cheat, can't nobody steal from you. That's that's the beauty. They've really, like YouTube and uh, and Google, if you're on top of people stealing your stuff and you let them know, they'll take it down. It's oh, great. for sure. Yeah, it comes down. I, I do about three or four of those every week because people want to take look clips and put them inside their video and like they was no, in there. No, no, no. Oh, is that right? Yeah, man, people do that. I shut it down. They'll reload my whole documentary. It's crazy, ain't and it? And try to monetize. That's the craziest part to me now. If it's some dude, man, that got three, four hundred views on some shit, man, and it's like a dude that got three subscribers on his channel, I'm not tripping off that shit, you know, because he don't probably know no better. It's probably some kid that just, you yeah. know, reloading his stuff. But when I see a dude don't put a whole elaborate production around our shit and make it look like it's just some footage of his, and we're so cold, they'd cover up our little insignia in the corner and put their shit right there. Well, he uploaded it. That's how he figures. Well, you know, it's funny to tie in back to your past question of did I ever have a problem. Kind of the weirdest hassle I ever had was I filed a takedown notice on a guy. I think he was, I couldn't tell if he was in Australia or England. And it, like, got his YouTube account, like, three violations. So they were going to take his account. 
and he like was threatening me over the internet. Yeah. You better tell YouTube to put my account back up, or I'm gonna come over there. Like, like he was like super mentally ill. Mm -hmm. I have cancer. I'm gonna die. This YouTube channel's all I have, and then I'm gonna kill you. And you know, so that that was my biggest hassle enforcing Damn. my copyright uh, 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 rights. And that was the biggest thing so far, man. You've been around a lot of people, man. I know you really got a strong connection, man, with BMF, right? Well. Allegedly. You know, you guys are yeah. from the same yes. soil and everything. How did that come about? Well, if you're in Detroit, I mean, you're always going to be one one step removal from someone in BMF, including people that weren't indictment, indicted and whose name is not known to the public. So mm -hmm. we'll just leave it at that. And we just leave it at that. But yeah, if you're in Detroit, you know, I mean, it's just like if you're in L.A., you could be a totally law-abiding citizen or something. You've got some type of uncle, cousin, somebody who's from in his exactly. world, you know. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, you're from here and you're doing this type of stuff, you got you can reach out to your Uncle James and say, hey, put me in touch with such and such so-and-so. So same thing for me in Detroit. I'm one step of removal from, you know, Detroit Public Schools, K-12, through my Legal address is still in the city limits of Detroit. My father lives there, so. Yeah, me and you right from across the uh, water Cleveland. from each other, man. I'm from Cleveland, so I'm the from. The mistake on the lake. Uh, yeah, well, y'all the other side of the mistake on the lake than Detroit, you know, because yeah. it's, it's right there. You can throw a rock. Let me ask you this, man. You came up around the same era I did in those times, man. Take me back to Michigan, man, in like the 70s, Detroit, Michigan, the 70s and the 80s, because you guys was, was kind of like, we was kind of like y'all little sister kind of. Because we had the big steel mills, man, and everything, and the migration from the south. All the people would come from, you know, Mississippi, Florida, Alabama. They would come up north to get those jobs because they was paying $20 And an all hour. of a sudden, they, the jobs went away. They disappeared, man. Can you take me back to, man, Detroit? What was going on in Detroit during that time? Once those jobs disappeared, man, and um, people started kind of like, um, what's the word I could use? when people became street entrepreneurs. Right. So um, you had, in 1960, Metro Detroit had the number one median household income of any metro area in the United States. By 1990, the city limits of Detroit was the poorest city in the United States. So everything that happened in Detroit happened everywhere else, South Central, jobs go away. It just was the most extreme there. So... Mm -hmm. The American dream is supposed to be you do better than your parents, you know, more money. That's not really, you know, the meaning of life, but let's just say. But the exact opposite happened. You had a lot of people, when they got to be teenagers or adults, they had less than their parents. And mm -hmm. it's one thing if you never have anything, you don't necessarily want certain things. But if you grew up with a new car every year and this and that, and now you're of adult age and there is no walking to the plant and get a good job, people came up with uh, elaborate, you know, drug, like the drug, it's interesting doing a lot of these documentaries are talking to DEA agents. So it's one thing to hear a guy say, yeah, my city is this or that. But when the DEA agents are like, yeah, I went to Detroit and I didn't understand how it was so loaded with drugs when it's not on the border. You know, the uh, in, interviewed a very, within DEA circles, he's called the legend John Sutton. He's like, Shaft. He was like the first black undercover agent. He was mm -hmm. sent to Detroit in 72. And he said, you know, I've worked in Mexico, every city in the United States. It's the only place I was scared was Detroit. The agents I was replacing, they had to move out because there were contracts out on their life. Mm -hmm. And 
You had the most black political and economic power concentrated of any city in the country. So, you know, the, the, the criminals in that community, they thought real big. And they wanted to be have power and be in control and do what they wanted to do, and they and they did. And um, a lot of unique unique things. You have a whole different set of immigrants there than you do. Like there's very few Hispanic yeah. immigrants in Detroit, but you have Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. and uh, so there's a there's a different heroin source. So we got the same heroin sources. Plus, whenever it's dry somewhere else, you got Lebanese heroin comes in. There's always heroin. Um, and for me, like I lived, you know, in one of the highest crime areas, right in the middle of the city. I mean, it was really bad. But you know, you know, how I was. I mean, it's the guns you would hear at night going to sleep. You're like, what are these? You know, what is going on outside? Mm-hmm. And um, pretty frightening. I look, look. You know, you look back uh, and you wonder, like, how did we make it out? You know, how are we still around? And when I go through neighborhoods like that now, and I see. Young people there, it's like, man, I hope they hope they survive it. Yeah, man, it, w- it was a different time. Like I said, man, a lot of those guys that were kingpins on your side of the water actually ran a lot of stuff in Cleveland, too. Northeast Ohio, you know, yep. not just Cleveland, but Northeast it's right, Ohio. Yeah, it's right, right there. Yeah, so on the freeway, it's right so there. So you had Cleveland, Toledo, and all those people would get, like, have influence. You would hear, oh, man, this dude from Detroit, you know, runs this whole block right here, the next three or four blocks, man. You know, that time came around, man. How did that impact you coming up? Because I know it had a certain impact on me, just that whole crack everything. And I think for all three of us, it might me and yours experience is probably very similar, but I know it was probably a little different from James' experience. You know, how did um I guess we that's something we could talk about, man. Like well, I, I, I wanna say this. So mm-hmm. I hear you know, hear rappers and like, oh so and so sold crack in the eighties. You know, I sold weed all like a lot, but a few times I there was so much cocaine floating around, mm-hmm. and I was not someone known for selling a bunch of cocaine. Once I bought an ounce of crack from a guy, and then when I bought the next ounce, he comes over like, "Well, here, just take a half key." And I wasn't even somebody that was selling. I was like, "I don't want that." So all these guys' stories, maybe they did have a kilo or two. So what? That was like having a pound of weed in 1990. That didn't oh, make sure. you anybody at all. Not even worth mentioning. And like you said, but man. But they're making money off of selling these stories like it made them some gangster. Oh, we had a crack spot. Yeah, you, you know, the thing was with selling dope, man, I think people put a lot on it. You could be the winniest dude around, man, and, and, and become, you, 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 you know, if you got come. some, you know, unless, you know, you get in a situation where you got, you know, what's going to separate them dudes from the wolves is when somebody come and trying to, you know, take their thing. And another myth is that the smoker didn't have no power. They always show smokers on these, um, TV shows is these people that are kind of just like, you know, shaky. I knew some smokers that were stone cold head busters. A lot of smokers. Knocking on the door. You know what I mean? A lot of smokers, just, you got to look at it like, before I was the smoker, I was this type of person. When the cocaine came and everybody was introduced to the drugs and started smoking that shit, it wasn't, it didn't affect you like it do now. Back then, you could smoke a, crack cocaine or you can roll a primo that's cocaine it, yeah um, it didn't affect like it used to but as the years passed motherfuckers jaws started sinking in and I'm talking about it took some good motherfucking people now oh yeah for sure the 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 mothers started doing the drugs and wasn't at home with the kids uh, took daddy out of work period you know 
you had some some cats, they fathers was trying to sell cocaine on the side to make ends meet or coincide with their job. Yep. Nine times out of ten, you selling crack cocaine, you got it on your hands. Next time, you're going to want to taste that shit. And then you figure out what it is, then you're hooked. Yep. I, I still see people right now today when I go to Compton still on that shit. Been on it still since it came shit. out. Uh, I got an uncle, to be truthful, 60-something years old, 68. Still smoking. And, and he just can't quit. Go to AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Prison, come on. If you go to prison and do five years, three years, you should be done. You shouldn't want to smoke a cigarette. But as soon as you get, you know, you come home, it's back to what you're used to. So you got a lot of people that's used to doing what they used to do because they go right back into the environment. You know what I'm saying? Detroit ain't no different from Compton or Watts. It's all the same shit. They go right back to the neighborhood. And then you have the guys that's selling the dope don't give a fuck who they sell it to. 
You know what I'm saying? And that was the big problem. How can you? I mean, the money's at the door. Yeah, but you you got to have some kind of morals. You, you got three kids up in this motherfucker. I ain't finna show you no crack cocaine. But just like James said, you know, it was a lot of people, man, that didn't have no moral compass because, see, the whole thing about the crack thing, I noticed, too, it wasn't just the money. It was the feeling of power that you had. Because them people that came, they actually needed you. You know what I mean? Like, if you wasn't there, they I had a lady cuss me out one time. Because I wasn't there the day before. You know, the day before, she cussed me out. Like, you know, like, where was you at? I needed you. You know, like, it mm -hmm. went off. But, you know, the power, too, man. I knew I had homeboys, man, who would tell me, oh, man, I knocked down such and such mama. Or I made her do this. You know what I mean? Just for some crack. So it was, you know, it was the power, too, man. Oh, I remember seeing my guy, my friend. I mean, we were probably 14 or 15. Say to an 8-year-old boy, go get your mother and send her down. Like, like, make the kid go get his mother to come yeah. do those things. I saw a guy in my, was another, so I lived with my father. At the end of our building, like a townhouse, there was another guy with his son. And one day, I watched this guy and his buddy, first, they going over, like, across the street was Geneva, G Street, like a Nickel Rock Street. Mm -hmm. Going over there, going over there. Then the TV comes out. Then something else comes out by, like, dusk. They had one of those little dollies, and they were putting a whole sectional. Mm -hmm. He emptied his whole house out in like eight hours. Oh, man, yeah. I, I've seen crazy stuff. I've seen those dudes in the hood, man, that got the good jobs, like with the city, man. You know, like them dudes that you kind of looked up to. You know, the dude that got yeah. the nice deuce and quarter, man. He got some rims on it, man. You know, just got his stuff oh, together. Okay. Got the cute girl, man. Next thing you know, man, you see them dudes. They, the jury might be gone at first, right? But they still look normal a little bit. Then the walk's gone. The next thing you know, instead of riding up the block, they walk and, and you see some other. Work. And then you see the little homie driving his car around the corner, driving his car around the way. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and then you see them as hobos. We've been through it all, man. We used to uh, rent the cars and, and do drive-bys out the motherfucker. Let me rent your car for 20 Rock. And while he's sitting there getting high, we in this shit shooting at people. Uh, you know, the the females used to come to the spot 839 because they knew motherfuckers was over there doing their thing and, and they knew it was favorite time. So favorite motherfuckers time. in that, yeah, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I don't want to say, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, trick for, for ass yeah. and shit, but, you know, you had guys that, that, that fuck with that. You know, you had guys that was kicking it with you and the mama come in you know that's the homie mama, but she on drugs and take her in the back room. So what I'm saying is the shit really, it, when it hit, it hit. And it fucked up a lot of families. You know what I'm saying? And when you see how all the, the shops and, and warehouses closed down in Detroit, that's the only thing that happened. The people that worked there, they couldn't catch up because they was getting credit. And you know what happens with credit. If if I owe you, if I got two hundred dollars worth of credit, by the time I get paid, it's three hundred fifty. Now mm -hmm. I give you three hundred fifty out of my motherfucking check. I can't catch up with paying my bills and doing this and doing that. So you can't go back to work because you done lost your motherfucking job because you're looking a wreck. Because when when the late eighties, that's when cocaine started reconstruction of your face and shit mm -hmm. you looking totally different you couldn't take it no more and it just fucked everything up you know what i'm saying uh my step pops it was cocaine and sherm you know we were going to little motorcycle runs and the whole goddamn uh fucking beach 
up and back was number motherfucking Sherman is everybody smoking them long more cigarettes dipping them. So, you know, it fucked everybody up. It 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 it, it, it fucked everybody Especially up. Especially people that were already on the lower rung because they didn't have they couldn't smoke up a paycheck and have money in the bank. Like that was their rent for the month. Now they're on the street pile. They had no buffer in the best of times. And one bad weekend might wreck their life. And so my next documentary I'm dropping an American Dope series called Cocaine Condor. And it's about the political events behind the glut of cocaine. And I say right at the beginning, it wasn't really a crack epidemic. There was a cheap cocaine epidemic. Right. And that allowed, you know, $3 dosage units of cocaine to come into existence. Mm -hmm. So 1980, kilo, I mean, even in Miami, it was $50,000. By 1989 or 90 in Detroit, and it would have been even cheaper in L.A., mm -hmm. you know, $13,000, $14,000 for a 90% pure. How did how did that happen? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a, you know. and Well, and, shit, everybody can get it now. So it, back then it was harder to get it. Because it wasn't coming in the country because the U.S. government had not facilitated it right. coming into so the country. Right, so now it's easier. Mm -hmm. And and the more you got, the less money you make off the shit. Because, well, you make more money because you got people stepping on the shit three times. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't even see why they motherfuckers even smoke that shit today because it's not what it used to be. You know what I'm saying? They adding and putting all this different shit in it. But your your body is so used to that, let's Whatever say that that flavor, you 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 want it, and and that's why you can't get people off of it today. You got motherfuckers going to the rehab a year, and coming home, sobriety might last two weeks, but it ain't no good if you go right back to where you start doing the shit. Yeah, for real. And you, you fucking with your friends, fucking with your your best friend. And you you back on the bush. If you don't have a replacement activity, you know, the idle minds of devil's workshop. You're you know, a lot of people don't if if you've been doing something every day for 10, 20 years, I take that away from you, well, you gotta replace it with something. But if there's nothing, there's no jobs, like we said. Exactly. You're in the community where everyone's doing the same thing, there's nothing to replace you, it with. Yeah, you back on it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and and that's the thing, um, I truly believe, man, that a lot of these communities haven't recovered from that, man. They're not even, I mean, some of those places, you can't even really call them communities anymore. Yeah, exactly. I've, places where there's some people at. Well, you know, I, I can show you some places, man, back in Cleveland, man, that used to be thriving communities. I'm talking about grocery store. Everybody on the street got a job. Now you go over there, it's like you may have a vacant lot. Tumbleweed. The house over here empty. This house, this might be the family still trying to live in there. You got one at the end of the street, the people been kicked out of there, but they still squatting over there. You know what I mean? They've been squatting for two or three years because don't nobody give a damn yeah, about the house. because the house is worthless anyway. You know what I'm saying? So the thing is, they got houses over there, man. You go buy a house. My my, my pops was telling me, man, we need to buy some of these houses. they $5,000. And I said, yeah, and it's going to take $50,000 worth of work to fix them up. And they're going to steal. Every time you put something, I know a lot of people try that in Detroit. So you put a water heater in there, mm -hmm. they steal it's it. It's gone. Cabinets, they steal it. Yeah, it's gone, man. It's like, you know, it's going to take it. And they haven't recovered from that, man. And you mentioned the point earlier about the dope being easy to get over here, right? Because you remember when they used to have the real yellowish, greenish looking dope that was so bad that it was just like, you know, it was horrible. It was like real brown, like yeah, like brown, like you know. It was purely for cooking. 
Yeah, it was just like it was the worst dope ever. You know what I mean? Um, it changed when the Cali cart, when the Medellin, Medellin cartel kind of started to get weak, and the Cali cartel came in at cracks height. They the formulation and the U.S. government stopped ether being easy to obtain, so they mm -hmm. weren't processing it the same. So a lot of people who were cooking a lot of cocaine back then told me that. There was this whole new grade of cocaine that came in that you couldn't really even snort if you wanted to. It was only for cooking mm. in the crack. So they were making it like that in Colombia. Yeah, well, you know, you mentioned the point earlier, man, about the government making stuff easier. Um, then we got Pro. So I truly believe, man, that a lot of this stuff has been staged, man, uh, really has been aimed at, you know, and I don't even have to say just the black community, but just people that are undesirable. That's right. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I know I grew up in Cleveland, and even on the east side where it was majority black, we still had a nice influx of white people, but they was in the same boat as us. They, you know, fathers worked with our fathers when they worked. And, when you know, they worked, You yeah. know, when, when they worked and they hung out with them, yeah. they drank beers together, man, and, and it was just like, you know, it, it was just a, a, a real crazy time how that came through. It's, it's almost like a tornado hitting the town, right? But it's this five-year tornado, six-year, seven tornado, and by the time everything is done, everything is just tore apart. You know what I mean? Everything is tore down. So now you have this city that people, they can't afford to go nowhere else, right? But they're there. And it's in worse condition than it was before, man. Did you encounter the same thing? Oh, ab yeah, absolutely. Um, and to talk about the, the economics of cocaine and, you know, how to, I think 1989, the cocaine business was estimated as like 2% of the entire U.S. economy. Mm -hmm. So like, so then in the areas it's being sold at, I mean, was it 35%? I mean, 1987, you pull up at a liquor store in Detroit, or I remember visiting New York and walking through Manhattan. I mean, just people were running to the, not even that you're known. I mean, I was like 12 years old. They're not even a known drug user. They just, so many people outside with drugs. They're just running everywhere. They're smoking crack outside. They're smoking crack in the liquor store. And everybody was selling it. That's why I said any win he could sell dope. Y'all overlooking it. The difference between a, a, a broke crackhead, somebody putting money together to go get that rock, and the difference between somebody that got a whole bunch of money and can afford it and buy a gang of it at one time and store it at their house. And and when they get off of work, they can make yep. five, six lines yep. and do it and be good. Uh, recreational users, I call them. It's a whole they bunch of it. it's a whole bunch of people way higher than us that, mm -hmm. that they need that to get by. Your whole bunch of people in this neighborhood that we in oh, right yeah, now. Exactly. They can afford it. So mm -hmm. but but see, is that and that's the difference. Yeah. Being able to afford it, you'll never know I'm on it. You'll never know. Because they're not losing no money. They can't they can't go broke behind this shit. Nope. Only mm -hmm. when they get reckless and had them wave parties and, and spend forty, fifty thousand dollars twice a month to have these parties and they start AT Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, 
a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The look, the part as a user, but they got people to to, to get them and, and get them back and snap them back. Unlike being in the city, well, being you know, in the neighborhood. Yeah, you're already at best, yeah. it's already of tenuous existence. Yeah, so mm-hmm. people people overlook the, the, the people with money because they got money. They don't have to show like that. Yeah. But if you know a smoker, you will see it in them every day. You, I, I see them when they drive their cars. It's a whole lot of them in this city. Yeah. You see these motherfuckers with these nice cars, but them goddamn crack don't discriminate. And and you could tell a user. Yeah, you, you know look like a walking dead, man. So, so, a dead woman. But it's, it's a cold thing, and it, it's all about the money. And if you got money, you can disguise it. For, mm-hmm. for for a longer period of time than than my mama and my uncle and my cousin can just being in the hood. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because being in the hood, you got motherfuckers that use drugs and, and they forget about everything, hygiene and all that shit, because they want to be right there. They don't want to miss a beat. You know what I'm saying? And they need to invest so much time into getting the little bit of money they need. They, cause right. they Like you said, they don't have extra resources right. it's not a snap of a finger they got to go out if they need forty dollars they got to go get forty dollars however they can get it yep. yeah exactly now what role do you think the government played in all this man so it's very well documented and i kind of put the pieces together in cocaine condor so in the late 70s as communist uh governments were taking power in central america and then 80 reagan comes into office and he wants to fund anti-communist, which really just meant the pro-business people in those countries. And Congress in 1982 with the Boland Act 
says, we're not letting you give any money to the Contras and other groups. So some of these uh, uh, Nicaraguan and uh, El Salvadoran right-wing groups, basically a deal is made, and it's not the government, it's the CIA, which is a black box. They don't have to tell Congress what they're doing. Cart, give a, get a, if you're a drug organization in Central and South America and you kick five, ten, two, three million to the Contras, or you are a Contra yourself and you're selling, like with the guy who's selling to Rick Ross here in LA, you get a get out of jail free card or don't go to jail in the first place. And so, say we're all committing a crime, right? We're watching ourselves and we're doing it here and there. And then all of a sudden, oh no, James, I got plugged at the DEA. Like, we can't go to jail. You're going to, oh, open the floodgates. <laughs> And, and and we got it in abundance, and we're getting it for so much and so cheap. All the guys, you know, you're like, here, just take this on credit. I don't care. We're making so much money. Huh, 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 huh. And and then now guys are standing at the corner store who used to sell joints. So the people in the neighborhood on Friday, they go get a little liquor and a five dollar bag of weed. Well, now it's five dollars worth of cocaine, but five dollar bag of weed might last you the weekend. Five dollars of cocaine lasts you five minutes. And then you're back, and when you only make five dollars an hour in 1985 minimum wage, well, that doesn't add up. It's real bad, real fast. Oh yeah, real horrible. As as that was like a saying, smoked so and so smoked up their paycheck last, like you know. <laughs> exactly. Saturday morning, you have no money. No money. You know, and as many <clears throat> of our neighborhoods turned out to be that way, man, what do you think the impact is on them today? Like in this present time, where we at 2020? Well, these. These young guys now, like, they're, it's not that they're difficult to deal with because they're tough or something. They're just, I don't know, they're, I guess they're, you, you could tell they're a lot of them raised by female crackheads. Maybe they're not crackheads now, but like when they were little kids, because mm -hmm. they're, everything is a kind of a lie or, you know, a scam or there's no order. They don't think there's any repercussions. It's like like you were raised in a crack house because they were because anywhere where there's a crackhead is a crack house, really, because mm -hmm. someone could come sit in there and, you know, and I think that's why, you know, they'd have no, it's not they have no job skills. They don't even have the, the psychological mind frame to sit somewhere and be told what to do because no one ever told them what to do ever, not even their mother because she was a crackhead during her, his formative years. Well, you know, and, and that's the thing right now, man. Um, and I don't want to just get them because you do got some young cats that's out there handling their business, you know. Absolutely. But, but for the Talk most. Talk about in general. Yeah, but in general, though, man, you got a bunch of kids, man. The, the biggest thing I notice with these kids is that they don't have no drive to them, man. It's like everything is about to hook up, the plug. Don't nobody want to work plug. for nothing. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, you got the hook up on, got the Airbnb hook up. Yeah, the Airbnb app. Yeah, you know, like, and that's the thing. Up? That's the thing. Everybody wants a hookup, but don't nobody want to put in a good hard day's work, Because they man. never saw any. How would you know to put in a hard day's work if you literally... See, that's hard to kind of believe. But now, like you, both of you are saying, jobs went away. What are people doing? Well, imagine the people that were little kids growing up. No one's going to work. They never saw anyone go to work. Mm -hmm. and never they saw anyone go to school. So, and the only people they saw to have something had the work, which those guys come and go. So where would they have a conception in their mind of like, no, every day when I wake up, I need to do something productive, not, not fire up a blunt. Well, and they've it, been they've been taught to live a certain kind of way, not the right way. They've been taught by by older people, 
that's in they in they surroundings, older people. If if I'm in a rut and this was happening right now today everywhere, you got a lot of older cats my age don't think they can get nowhere or don't don't believe they going anywhere. So instead of showing this young man or that young man or these cats over here that you can make it just because I didn't, no, they teaching you how to sell drugs. They teaching you how to survive on the streets opposed to getting you where you should be. And then these little cats out here growing up today, they don't have no respect for for the next person. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just this weekend, a friend of mine, and that's why I wanted to talk to Fimby, he, you know, he doing good. He just seen one of his homeboys and he's, his shop doing bad. So he takes off his jewelry and shit and give it to him and tell him, get yourself out of debt. Rolex, rings, all this shit. Next day, he gets killed. He gets shot in the back. The one who received mm. the stuff? The, the one, one who gave. gave. Okay. And uh, I just recently bought a car from him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And and they wanted more than what I gave them. So I'm like, man, I got this right here. I brought this. My nephew said, doodoo said, woo, woo, woo. So this is what I brought. He took it. And, and the brother gets shot in the back four times. We the people don't know, black people, young people, kids, don't know how to get out there and get their own shit. If you see it, and, and we used to have motherfuckers in the neighborhood that seen a motherfucker on Dayton's, and you're like, I'm going to jack that motherfucker for him. No, get out there and get your own motherfucking Dayton's. Mm-hmm. They're not living like that today. They want to take what they see. They don't want to work for what they what they want. You know what I'm saying? Well, so when you were growing up, you saw some people living like that and some people working. So you there was a yeah. choice. But the kid who's 18 now, and some not every, but it's the really bad neighbors. There wasn't anyone going. Some blacks in Detroit at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays or 8 a.m. on Tuesday is not people walking out, getting in the car to go to work. It looks just like Saturday night. Yeah, hanging out, being 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 gangsters and, and hanging out, trying to make a living, trying to make some money, opposed to having a mentality saying. Okay, man, fuck this drug shit. Let me let me get a job. Let me go somewhere to try to find a job. They're not doing that, especially here. These little these little young dudes out here don't want no, no job. Here, I was amazed. I've never seen so many adults here in a city in L.A. that don't have their own place and don't even talk about. Like these guys don't even talk about. Oh, I need to get some money to get a place. They just have come to accept that they'll always be on someone's couch or some and, woman's and, bed. And that's what I just said earlier. They don't think they can get up out of here. They don't yeah. think they can be a better person. You know what I'm saying? And then they offer you GR, general relief out here, oh. and they give you $271 a month. Now what's that? It's, it's, it's a program where you don't have to do shit but, act, but go look for a job. Okay. Get these papers signed, say you went looking for jobs. Yeah, Yeah, which motherfuckers do it themselves. And then you take it back to the county, and they give you a check every month. That's enabling me because this $271 is good for me. You fuck off this month, I wait till next month, I try it again. You don't have it. It's not enough money to survive and do what you want to do. But motherfuckers have, have, have... accepted the fact that this is this is enough. I can I can do this. They give you hotel vouchers. So they fuck you up really. Oh hotel vouchers? They they give you vouchers where you can go stay in a hotel room for for weeks at a time. Who needs to work then, I guess. Exactly. So 
they 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 not helping you. They really hurting you more than they helping you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because don't nobody want to do they're it. They're not using it as a springboard. They're using it as just, oh, this is what it is. Yeah. Don't give away free shit, and then you'll see the difference. When a motherfucker feel like, damn, I can't get this money from 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 my bitch prostituting, if I can't make money off of my weed, which they stopping that shit because everybody rather go to the to the goddamn building and get their weed now, opposed to hitting the block and get it. So it's it's pretty much taking you out the business. The crack cocaine don't look like it used to look back in the days, and and you see the neighborhoods full. Especially you can tell a full neighborhood because you got cars up and down the whole block. Yeah. Back then you didn't. Motherfuckers was selling their cars, everything. If 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 not, they was a piece of shit. But you got a lot of people out there just don't give a fuck and don't want to work hard, don't want to get it the right way. And that's the problem. You know what I mean? AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what I'm saying? I totally Whether agree. Mother or father. If you got them both, you're sneaking out doing this because you want to hang with the homeboys or the homegirls. You know, 
these little kids, when they get a piece of pussy or they get their first piece of dick, I'm running away. You don't want me to be with him? I'm gone. They don't want to listen to nothing. Yeah, and it's the big thing and the sad part about it is you seeing generations upon generations. Like, I swear, when I was back in Ohio, we had a family that lived like five houses down. They was, you know, on welfare. It was, you know, two sisters living together. Everybody in the house, you know, packed up in the house. Everybody on welfare, they get the, you see them on the first of the month, coming with just the big things, the juice, and just, you know, like Sugar. 20 bags of groceries, you right. know what I mean? Right. And they eating good, barbecuing for two weeks, then at the end of the day, they borrowing stuff. Do you have a cup of sugar? Can they borrow yeah, some bologna, you know? ration out the food. Like, you know what I'm saying? They ask, can you, like, how do you borrow beans? How do you borrow bologna? You know what I mean? And my mom, my mom tell them, like, you know. You like, you know, I, you know, the first few times it's cool, but then mom's like, you know, I got to feed my own kids. You know, you need to go get a job. And then, you know, my mom got one of the girls a job down at the clinic. Girl lasted all the two weeks. Well, she doesn't want to be told what to do. You know, they want to go. Well, they prejudice over there. They, you know, that's the first thing, prejudice over there, because you don't want to do your job. So now check this out. The same girls I came up with, there was my age in that house. They in the same house. Some of them move next door to each other. Cause you know in Cleveland they got these duplexes, but they you know how it is back in the Midwest, you got the house in the bottom of the one upstairs. Four family flat. You know, family four flat family flat. flat. They got they live over here, they live over here. It's like they don't took the whole block all up on welfare. Last time I was back there, I heard one of the older ones tell a younger one, girl, you know, if you go ahead and get pregnant, I'll let that one pretty nigga put a baby up inside of me, because you go get a couple hundred dollars more dollars a month. And it's just like and 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 to 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 go out to eat in L.A. is a couple hundred dollars. So yeah. they're going to bring a human being into the world for the price of a meal oh, but, in L.A. But, but check this out. Not and that's cold shit. That, oh, that's, go ahead, Norm. Oh, I'm <clears> sorry, <throat> but, but one second. I got this on my mind. The cold part about this situation is there are no men in the house. Because why? I think you, Then you don't get the payments. Yeah, you don't get the payments. That's what Section 8 is for. And I'm going to tell you why. That, that, that's what fucks us up. Because these chicks is getting Section 8... They get in these houses, they move a nigga in. The nigga can lay up and do what the fuck he want to do. Don't have to get up and go to work. He's being taken care of. As soon as she get mad and say, you need to do this, I'm going to get up and bounce. But at the end of the day, just like when the food stamps, the paper stamps came, mm -hmm. motherfucker didn't have to do nothing. He would take the food stamps, trade them, trade them in for money, and be out there the dollar, yeah? to do his thing. But when she put his ass out, he don't have nothing, and he not thinking about it. He don't have a hustle or, no, or nothing. So that puts him in the street. Now you at the homie house, or you try to find the next victim that you can lay up on and play victim, that yeah. PlayStation game. That with. is his hustle. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just being put in a trick bag, man, knowing that regardless of what, you got to do what the fuck you got to do to survive. You Get you a goddamn job, work, mm -hmm. take care of your kids. There's cats out there with... 15, 20 goddamn kids and ain't got a job. At the end of the day, if you die today, you you can't take care of nine one of them kids. Can't you burden. You a burden. You come in the walk the earth as a burden and leave one as a bigger one. So I was I was one that that blamed the system and blamed other people. But if if motherfuckers get off their motherfucking ass like I did and say, fuck that, I don't have to live like this, I ain't gotta be like this, and this, I don't wanna do this shit no more. I can't, it ain't going down no more. Pay attention and listen to what the fuck's going on. Grow up and be a motherfucking man. You will be successful. Mm -hmm. You ain't gonna get rich, but 
You'll be Everybody doesn't get to person. be rich, unfortunately. I mean, you know. Yeah, everybody's not gonna get rich. That's yeah. just not how this life world works. And and the issues of you know economic injustice, racism, those are all real. But unfortunately, whatever the world is you're born into, of whoever you, are, you gotta deal with the problems. It doesn't make that stuff not real, but being mad about it, try to solve it and change it. it ain't but you still it. gotta. You're like you said, you still gotta just get up and do something. It's, it's, it's not being mad about it. It's, it's more anger. Just being angry about the situation, even though I'm living like this, you don't have to put your foot in my neck. Yep. You know what I'm Facts. saying? Even though I, I'm a broke motherfucker and I ain't got that bill money, you don't have to charge me with this knowing I can't bail out of jail. Don't don't pump shit up and don't. I mean, every day is a struggle. Yeah, the driver's license thing and the traffic tickets. Cause that I know, shit is crazy. Yeah, where you the driver's responsibility fees. So you get pulled over, you couldn't afford car insurance. So, like in Michigan, that's like a couple hundred dollar ticket, but you got this driver's responsibility fee for driving no insurance, fifteen hundred. So you're taking someone who already couldn't afford a three hundred dollar bill. Mm-hmm. Now they got an eighteen hundred dollar, but they're never gonna have a license, and they're gonna exactly. be in and out of jail for traffic tickets. Exactly. Giving people six months for driving on suspended license. And that's 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 sad. It's ridiculous. They want their money though. It's ridiculous. They want their. And money. then if they, that's just so if you ever get a settlement or you happen to get some type of job, they just gonna they take gonna the money. Paid. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's real. You never can get ahead. It's real foul now, man, and that's the biggest thing, man. I'm just like, um, especially with all the stuff going on in the world now, man. I really just hope that we can get it together. We yeah, will. hopefully there's been a little reset button, and I hope everyone, though I doubt it, has been using their time to think about their own lives and behavior about the world and how they relate with others. And uh, we'll see if some some of us and some people will change. Probably like all through history, most people won't. But economy is going to be different in the coming years ahead. A lot of these jobs and businesses that close are not going to reopen. My formal education is in economics, so like I think about it, like I'll read the Bureau of Labor Statistics report on stuff. And like, like the restaurant, the waiter job, that was like the last like White people without a college degree right. could go be a waiter somewhere. Because, you know, in L.A., if you're not white, you're not going to be a waiter anywhere. Mm-hmm. But those jobs ain't going to be there. So the non-white people have been dealing with not being able to fully be in the economy for a while. But now you're going to see a lot of white people can't get a job. And what's going to happen then? Yeah, it's going to be Ooh, Oh, man. Yeah. No, I mean, for real. You know, yeah. it's going to be crazy right now, man, because I'm looking at people can't even handle the little structure. Somebody tell them to wear a mask in the store. I'm seeing people lose their minds in the grocery store. Why do I back up? Why, why, why are you threatening? I don't like being at work anymore. Like I, be in these, I stopped going to the expensive restaurants in L.A. because like the waiter, they want to act like they're not the waiter. Hey, what's up? It's like, oh, I'll grab you some food while I'm walking by the kitchen. Like, no, 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 no. Tell me your name's Bobby and I, you'll be my waiter tonight. Yeah. And get my ketchup. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. You know, and and this is just it's, it's wild times now, man. I'm looking at like, um, I really think we got a problem in the United States. Period, man. Is that when somebody tell us what to do, that's the best for us? Oh, you're impeding on my rights. Yeah. It's like, man, motherfucker, they telling everybody to wear a mask so this shit can go away. So wear a mask just when you go outside. Even if it's stupid, just just go participate. Along with you know society. what I mean? Yeah. Ain't nobody asking you to wear a mask in your house. Ain't nobody asking you to wear a mask in your car, but. When you go to the grocery store, put your mask on, go in and get what you got to get, get in your car and take the shit and off. That's just some just-in-case type of shit. How you don't want to wear a mask and you're walking with three kids 
How you want to go well, and just hang to make out. the if you two you are gonna be to... uncomfortable by me not having one on, even if I thought it was stupid, just because you're two other human beings, I'll just do it to not bother you. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'm seeing people lose yeah. they the, the people losing their damn mind right now. Look at me, I refuse to wear a mask at Walmart. I'm a hero. Well, hell, Donald Trump don't want to wear a mask, so if he ain't got to, I ain't. There was to. a spike in cases in Tulsa where he had his first campaign rally on June 10th, coincidentally. Why he had his kickoff campaign on Juneteenth, and no one wore masks, and there's a spike in cases there. Oh yeah, big time spike, man. So we hope so everybody. The president's bringing coronavirus around. Yeah, we hope everybody out there staying yeah. safe from that stuff because it is very real. So man, tell us, man, what do you have going on? What do you have coming up, man? Well, you can go to AmericanDope.com. I have a lot of merch, but my YouTube channel is YouTube.com/slash/AlProfit. I'm putting up new stories a couple times a week. Next episode of American Dope Cocaine Condor will be out. But something that was, that was real exciting that I was about to implement when this struck and now we can't travel. About two years ago, I did a pop-up museum in downtown L.A. where I created like a little museum um, using artifacts and photos and exhibits from my documentaries. Mm-hmm. Interactive, really cool experience. And once travel kind of opens back up, probably 2021, I'm going to do like a tour Mm-hmm. That around the country, I'm very excited for that. And I'll be doing some podcast stuff with you guys. Yeah, and, uh, our prophet will have some podcast on digital soapbox with yeah. you guys. Be, be sure to make sure to be on the lookout for that in the next upcoming weeks. All y'all out there in the world, um, we got some in, real interesting stuff. We got a the real big project. What I ain't gonna talk about right now with somebody that's very popular that me and you gonna be doing. So man, it's a lot of stuff going on, man. We really thank you, man, for coming on the show, man. Thanks Any, for having me. Man, for sure, anything you want to leave these beautiful people with? YouTube.com slash Al Profit, A-L-P-R-O-F-I-T. Thank you, Mob James, Mr. Steele. Salute, yeah. Digital Soapbox Network. Yeah, make sure you guys, man, like this video, subscribe, um, leave a comment. You know anything you say that's fucked up, I'm going to race it anyway, so go ahead and leave it. Um, and my name is James McDonald, not Mob James. Okay, Mr. McDonald. I'm all right, and we got to here. Got my Prevnar20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic, and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't give Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.